Warning, Family Ties Positive Vibes may or may not contain any positive vibes. However, it is sure to contain three members of the family trying their best. Welcome, Welcome to, to Family Ties Positive Vibes, a podcast about our lives and the nonsense behind all of it. My name is Michael Summers, and over there, trying to interrupt me, is John Summers. I'm over here as well. And over to my other side is my wonderful, lovely mother, Lady Linnell Summers. And what a week it has been. I say because it is currently August 19th, and California is burning to the ground as we know it. Except for today. Today we had a nice cool day. Uh, only a high of about 100 degrees. Actually, it felt a little lower. All the smoke blocking in the sky really cut down on the heat. I think that we topped out at 91. Oh. Yeah, it was nice. I mean, it wasn't breathable, but it was nice. Right. Comparatively right. speaking, yeah. <laughs> um, I just got back from my trip to... It wasn't San Diego, but it was nearby uh, in Escondido, California. North and, of San Diego. Yeah, a little bit. And I went with uh, Ashley and a couple of other friends, and we all had a grand old time trying to figure out what the heck we were going to do there. Turns out, just about as many things to do there as there are in Bakersfield. Not a lot? Um, yeah, exactly. There's a mall, and it is nicer than the mall here in Bakersfield. It's probably two stories, isn't it? It's three stories tall. Oh, my God. But you're close to the beach, aren't you? Yeah, but we didn't actually travel there at the entire time. Um, we considered it, but we just ran out of time, and we thought... It was getting close to 6 o'clock by the time we were leaving Sunday, and we didn't want to have to deal with any later traffic. So you drove to Escondido to go to a three-story mall? Yes. No, we have, a, we, have some, we have some friends that live in Escondido and San Marcos, which is like right next door. So we were mostly going to visit with them, hang out, uh, eat some good food, hang out some more. Quite honestly, it didn't feel like a hugely productive trip. It was just to get out of Bakersfield for a while. And I completely understand. <laughs> because, John, you went somewhere also. Yes, actually, right before Michael went on his trip, I went to and came back from a trip to Santa Paula, uh, which I really liked. I think you've talked about Santa Paula before. It's my vacation spot of choice, largely because it is cheap for us to go there. My, one of my friends has family in the area. They allow us to stay there because for some reason they like us, which continues to baffle me. Weird for summer's boys, huh? Yes, but we go to Santa Paula and we venture outwards as well. We went to Carpinteria, we went to Santa Barbara, we went to Ventura, and we went to as many beaches as we could. Well, it sounds fun. Uh, what was different this year from last year as far as doing stuff on the trip was concerned? We went to the Santa Barbara Zoo. Oh. Yeah, turns out there are a lot of animals there and a lot of kids, which surprised the two people I went with for some reason because for some reason they don't really like kids. Well, I guess that's unfortunate. I think going to a public zoo was an interesting move for them to make because I felt like that was expected. <laughs> well, certainly because school was still out. If they went this week after school started, probably fewer kids. Yeah, but it was still nice. I got some good photos. I have some fun videos of animals and I had fun on the trip. Had some coffee, among other things. I was not buried in the beach sand this time. There were sand fleas, but I did dig a big hole. Excellent. I'm glad you got something productive out of it, John. It's like four feet deep, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of sand fleas, I understand that is how uh, Howie Mandel developed his uh, paranoia about uh, cleanliness. Oh. He's a germaphobe. 
But it goes back, and I don't know if he had to suss this out with a therapist, but it goes back to a beach trip when he was a child, and he was playing on the beach, and some sand flea uh, bit him, I think, and then he was scratching, 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 and the eggs got under his skin. Oh, yeah, okay, that's horrifying. So, You know what, Howie? You get a pass on this one. You're allowed to be a germaphobe from that. It's carried on with him the remainder of his life. Yeah, Yeah. oh, boy. Um, I never knew that story, and I kind of wish I didn't. Yeah, I would prefer not knowing anything about Howie Mandel other than he's kind of bald. Well, he's an interesting character. He has a podcast that I've been listening to from time to time with his daughter. His daughter's quite interesting. She seems quite normal. Um, I can imagine it's... (laughs) Quite interesting growing up with Howie Mandel as a father, because one of his favorite things to do is to prank call people. <laughs> he, so I guess he still has the mental age of a 19-year-old. I'm not even sure if it's 19. Yeah. So my big news this week was my favorite neighbors moved out and put their house up for sale. And by favorite neighbors, I'm sure you mean... My least favorite. The ones who have the balls to come into my backyard and trim my tree when I'm out of town. <laughs> not, not missing them at all. Yeah, I can't say I have any fond memories of them either. I believe I talked to them once, and that was when they were referring me to someone who wanted to buy my car for like $3,000. My favorite thing about our old neighbors who are no longer with us is after the 2020 election, they put up a Trump flag. After the election? Yes. They did not have it before the election. John's correct on that. And say what you will about politics, but I think that's a very curious move to put up an election flag after the election has occurred. Well, I wouldn't be sad if the flag came down either. And I believe that brings us to our next segment of the night, Show and Tell. Show and Tell, Show and Tell. We can't really show, but we can tell. John, would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. This week, I'm bringing to the table a comic of mine. It's a comic that I've been reading since at least junior high, middle school, around there. It's a web comic that's updated semi-frequently. It's called Dumbing of Age. It's a, a slice-of-life story about kids in college. It's a parody of the coming-of-age story, I suppose. Features a lot of different characters. that They're all very well-written, quite interesting, both in terms of design and personal lives. And they deal with a lot of different issues that a lot of different kids in college could... Uh, be facing. And I started reading this back when I was in junior high and in high school, and that really uh, removed some of the fears of college from my mind, seeing of how these people who have it so wildly different, and they're handling it pretty well. Yeah, I'm somewhat familiar with the story and its author, David Willis, who is, who's been making comics for over two decades now, and actually all the characters in that story are from previous comics of his. Um, which were more in line with superhero stories. So it's very strange to see them in a more realistic college setting now. I think that's part of the reason why I like Dumbing Vage so much is that he knows what he wants the characters to be because he already figured it out 15 years ago. (laughs) So my media for the week is all based on the Peacock app. And I downloaded the Peacock app because I wanted to watch the Olympics. And the one thing I've learned about uh, watching the Olympics, I think the next time that they come around, I need to just sign up for cable TV because I need all the channels. Just having the Peacock was not quite enough. But anyways, since I have the Peacock for a couple more weeks, I watched a show that's actually kind of cute. They have five or six episodes because, you know, now on these uh, networks, they have uh, much shorter seasons than they did on network TV. Yes. But there's this cute little show. It has five or six episodes. It's, um, I think, is written by Tina Fey, and one of the stars is Sarah Bareilles, oh. who is a singer. And maybe one of these days we'll cover her for songs because she has some really clever songs that she has written. Um, but it's called Girls Five Eva. 
because forever's not enough, so they had to go to five ever. Oh. <laughs> so, so it's a, a little girls group. They're a band. Um, so it's an eclectic grouping of personalities and all the hijinks that ensue because, you know, nothing goes correctly. Yeah, sort of a Spice Girl situation, a Spice World. Something like that. Yeah, I believe it's probably very similar. Anyways, made a cute show. The six episodes in season one that I watched were quite good. So I hope it gets picked up again for a second season. And I might just have to subscribe another month sometime later to the Peacock Network again. But while I do still have the Peacock Network, there's another bike race. Can you believe that? (laughs) So after all the cyclists were at the Olympics doing the Olympic bike race, uh, they picked up and flew to Spain and they're all um, riding in the Vuelta España. So they went from the Tour de France to the Olympics to the Volta España. That is correct. Not all of them, but there's, you know, there's a similar there's a lot of crossover. A yeah. few people are a little tired. <laughs> uh, this is their job. Yeah, if it's what you do for a living and it's what you love to do. Uh, one thing we noticed in the Tour de France, big crashes. So far in the Vuelta, they have wide roads, probably oh. well paved. Um, the only crash I saw was due to somebody who must have touched wheels. Um, it wasn't a fan on the sidelines. Uh, just the, an accident. I just that happened. saw no, one. Yeah. No one were throwing rocks this time. Okay. Yeah. Actually, it's quite impressive that how close the cyclists ride together and they don't have any more accidents than they do because they are so close. It's, you know, within split seconds of being on the guy's wheel in front of you. They are professionals. They have trained extensively for this. They have, and it takes quite a lot of training. Yeah. Did you guys notice how I almost said exclusively? I almost heard expensively. So, <laughs> so Michael? So I've been, uh, I run D&D campaigns. I play D&D a lot. I play, uh, I run games for other people. And recently I have some new, some of friends who are wanting to get into a campaign. They've never really played Dungeons and Dragons before, but they're interested. And I know one of their Uh, One thing that a lot of them are really interested is the show Stranger Things. And it turns out there's an official Dungeons and Dragons Stranger Things box set to get people who are interested in one interested in the other or vice versa. So I bought the box set and I thought, hey, maybe I should finally get around to watching Stranger Things. And so I did. And it is an interesting show. It kind of reminds me of... Obviously, it's a lot more gruesome than the old science fiction uh, movies that we kind of grew up with, E.T., but it does give me some... uh, Do you remember the movie Super 8, John? I don't believe I've ever watched that. Movie about a group of kids living probably roughly in the 80s, doing a film project and investigating some mysterious stuff going on in town. Turns out monsters are real. And Stranger Things gives me a lot of similar vibes. It's a similar group of kids growing up in a, in a, in a town. Probably Portland, I don't in, know. Yeah, in the 80s. And they're investigating the weird stuff that's going on. And I immediately realized, wow, the Stranger Things Dungeons and Dragons box has nothing to do with this show besides like the first five minutes of the show where the kids are shown playing Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, so you're playing the Dungeons and Dragons that they were playing in the show. Exactly. And while I think that's interesting, it's kind of a bit of a letdown. It's not what anyone was expecting. That's not what I was expecting because I know both of those things and I could imagine them meshing pretty well. Until you said that. Yeah, so I'll probably be making some edits to the campaign to keep people interested. Are you 11? Am I 11? No. And none of the characters are either in Dungeons and Dragons. Weird. Is 11 a character? Yes, I believe she's played by Millie Bobby Brown. I believe so, yes. Um, I think she likes waffles. I've not watched Stranger Things. (laughs) 
Um, well, I'm not going to give too much away because I'm still in the middle of watching it, and it seems like there's some stuff that's going to change my expectations. I don't know what's coming, and I'm sure it's going to be a surprise, so I'm not spoiling anything for myself, and I don't want to spoil anything for anyone else who wants to watch. Yeah. You know what? Spoiler alerts never spoil anything for me, because even if I know who wins a race, I still love to go back and watch the whole race and see how they got there. I'm mostly the same way, but for some shows or movies, it can make a difference. I don't really love media where it relies on a twist ending to be good. I don't mm -hmm. really love that Shyamalanian twist. So yeah. spoiler alerts mean nothing to me because I, if I like something, I'll watch it multiple times anyway. And if I'm watching it for a second time, I know what happens in it. See, I forget what happens. I watch things that I know I've watched before, but I can't remember how it gets to the end or what their end result is. So I have to keep watching to the end. And then, of course, when I see it, I remember. But yeah, it's no problem. Spoiler alerts do spoil nothing for me. <laughs> well, that's that's a good way of looking at it. Did you guys know that Rosebud was a sled? No. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's just that seems like a popular spoiler that people got upset about. And was, it Citizen, was that Citizen Kane? Sorry, <sighs> Citizen Kane. I should, I should enunciate. Um, I'll be honest. I don't remember quite clearly. My knowledge of older pop culture has some holes in it. Quick, get the Google. Okay. Was Bruce Willis dead the whole time? Yes. That's another big spoiler. Yeah. Funny fact about that spoiler specifically, there was a comic artist in Japan. I believe his name was Araki. And he got an advanced copy of that movie sent to him because he was like a big prominent figure in Japan but he releases a weekly comic, so he spoiled the entire ending for that movie for everyone who read his comic because he got it early. I would think that somebody would know that in advance and caution him not to put anything out there. I think he was told that. I don't think he cared because the way that he did it was he had a crass person who was watching the movie as well. as They spoiled it for everyone that in their comic as well. Yeah, he wrote it as a spoiler within the comic, which is interesting and kind of a power move. But also, he has enough fans that, you know, it wasn't ever going to hurt uh, his comic in the least. Yeah. Also, this was Japan. Yes. Most people don't want their spoiler alert. I mean, they, they want to see it originally the first time. Yes. Uh, most people are not like me. I think I'm in a minority category. You and me both. All of us. I'm about 50-50. Sometimes I like to know what I'm getting into before I watch it because it helps me pay attention a little better. If I know what's going to happen, I can at least be able to follow along at a pace and be like what's going uh, what's what's going on what who's who's that what's going on where am i last time i forgot where i was in a theater it was very confusing for everyone do you often find yourself forgetful in a theater no this ended up being a not funny bit that i was doing okay so anyways long story short yes rosebud is from citizen kane okay and now it's time for artist of the week listen with me Great intro, John. Um, this week, we picked someone that we all know. Well, someone, some ones, multiple some people. Yeah, a group that all of us in the room are aware of and have some knowledge on. Yes, a popular quartet. Commonly known as Queen. <laughs> Ta-da! The British rock band from London started about 1970. Made up of... Well, as we know, uh, Freddie Mercury, lead their vocals, lead singer. Roger Taylor. Their drummer, Brian May. Guitar and vocals. And John Deacon. On the bass. 
I thought it was interesting that Freddie, Brian, and Roger were all born in 1946, 47, 49, so they're all about the same age. Oh, well, I guess John Deacon, his birthday was 1951, so he wasn't that much younger. Okay. So they're all in the same grouping. I guess that makes sense. Roundabout. Yeah, similar ages. Their band, or I should say, Brian and Roger were originally in a band before Queen, though, that Freddie was a fan of, uh, the band Smile. And that wasn't as popular, but I I think uh, the Wikipedia article says they got their first hit saying, oh, yeah, we are popular. We were on BBC Radio, and that got them some gigs, but was never actually verified. (laughs) Michael, do you remember how you first got introduced to Queen? Well, I mean, I think I got introduced to Queen the same way that everyone our age did, probably at a sports show or some kind of sporting event where they played We Will Rock You, We Are the Champions, you know, the same way they you always hear them. But I think I got introduced properly to Queen, not even through Dad, who I know has a ton of Queen records, but rather just looking stuff on, up on the radio. Probably just one day someone told me, hey, you have to listen to this song. Everyone knows this song. And I put on some headphones and I listened to Bohemian Rhapsody and I was a Queen fan for the rest of my life. As is everyone. How about you, Mom? You probably were introduced a slightly different way. I recall hearing Queen songs on the radio back in the 80s when they were producing them in real time. But I don't recall that I really did the deep dive into Queen until about five or six years ago. All of a sudden, a song popped into my head that I had to go on uh, Google and look up, or YouTube. I was on YouTube looking up um, a video for... um, the Great Pretender, because something popped into my head. I remembered it from high school, from a talent show. And I remember it being a good parody song. They, you know, they could get up and they could mime the song. Oh, yes, I'm the Great Pretender. So I found it on YouTube, and then I just went down a rabbit hole because after that, The Great Pretender is a fabulous song. It's one that Freddie Mercury did not write, although he indicated later in life that uh, he really wished it was his own song because he felt like it represented his life well, in that his whole life he had to be a pretender. He never could really be authentic. So he, he thought it represented him. Uh, beautiful song. And then I did the deep dive and watching all the documentaries uh, about queen which then took me back to ordering up all the greatest hits because for some reason i didn't have any queen albums in my collection of music have you fixed that uh i've got the greatest hits of course i have access to anything i want to hear now on youtube of course true so anything i want to hear i can look up and play uh we have a great sound bar here on our tv so it's like having a stereo <laughs> it's, it's really fun so yeah every once in a while i do the uh the queen deep dive because their music is really timeless classic. Um, They've got beautiful melodies. Their harmonization, all their arranging is done quite expertly. So I come and go. You know, I'll listen to it intensely for a a few weeks and then I let it go for a little while. I probably go back to Josh Groban. (laughs) 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 But uh, Queen is a definite favorite. Absolutely. Um, I think I was first introduced to Queen, of course, the regular way that our generation has. I don't remember exactly 
the ways I got into Queen. I probably stole music from you, Michael. But uh, my favorite memory with regarding Queen was definitely on a on a Boy Scout trip, actually, uh, on our way to our campsite. It was a long drive, and our chauffeur had some was just playing music from the radio, and I managed to sing along to Bohemian Rhapsody completely and entirely, and completely confused and befuddled everyone else in the car because they had never heard Bohemian Rhapsody before somehow. And how did you know it? Probably from stealing music from Michael. Oh, okay. John got a lot of his music originally from stuff I had downloaded. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Say for like one or two songs, but I don't listen to those anymore. Regardless, for the rest of that trip and for a few months afterward, kids kept asking me, hey, can you sing that weird song again? And I kept saying, no, it's like seven minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that was my favorite that was my favorite moment regarding Queen and for the longest time Bohemian Rhapsody was my favorite song ever. Um that's probably still true to some extent but I don't know if anyone can get away with saying Bohemian Rhapsody is their favorite song anymore because everyone loves it. It's certainly one of the most recognizable songs amongst multiple generations now. It is. There there's bits and pieces in it that captures everybody's interest and ear. Yeah. Um, it was in a movie. What was the name of the movie it was in um, that introduced it to a, a lot more people? Wayne's World? Yes. Where they, Yeah, they played it in the car when they were driving, Wayne and Garth. And that was an iconic scene for a lot of people because let's be honest, whether uh, people realize it or not, probably everyone's recreated that scene at one point in their lives. <laughs> I know everyone I know has sung along to it as loudly as they could on a car ride. With the company I keep, absolutely. Yeah. So stepping back a bit into Queen's history, the two members of Queen, Brian May and Roger Taylor, uh, were originally members of a different band, Smile, who reformed into a new band when Smile broke up. Um, They had, John, you remember Freddie's original, his birth name, I should say. Farouk Bulsara from Zanzibar. Yeah, and he he was a big fan of Smile, and that's why he, when Smile broke up, he's like, hey, can I join? And they said, yes, because we'd love to keep playing and not have Roger go back to trying to be a dentist and <laughs> Brian May go back to trying to be an astrophysicist. He did become an astrophysicist, though. He did. But that was a while later. But they wanted to be rock stars for a while first. So see, kids, you can go back and finish up your degree later. But your parents probably want you to finish it now. <laughs> Is that a backhanded way of never mind. No, no, no. No, it's not. <laughs> and it's very interesting to me to think that like they they recorded an album a year for a long time uh, early on. I think their first album came out, what was it, 1973, 1974? Yep, I don't probably. know. Um, the self-titled album Queen, then they had Queen 2 a year later, and then they had Sheer Heart Attack a year after that. And then what is probably their most recognizable album, A Night at the Opera, one year after those, um, which gave us a lot of good songs. A lot of iconic songs. Sir. What's your favorite iconic song from that album, John? I think we've been over this. Because I think uh, <laughs> my most Uh, My favorite song from that album that doesn't fit at all is uh, Roger's song, I'm in Love With My Car. Mom, I know you went and looked up because they, they, Queen as a band, for a long time, gave specific writing credits to different members, and every single one of them wrote songs. They did. 
They have a nice mix of unique, melodic songs. Uh, they did have 20 hit singles. Wow. Oh, it said, okay, this can't be right, can it? It said Brian penned 22 of Queen's top 20 hit singles. Something about that seems mathematically improbable. I mean, they weren't top 20 all at the same time. But he penned 22 of the top 20? Yes. Like all of them were in the top 20s at some point from the British charts, I believe. I think John's right, but uh, that does sound funny when you say it out loud. <laughs> it does. I did not type that myself. I copied and pasted, and uh, it seemed logical when I did it, and all of a sudden now it doesn't. He wrote a lot of good ones. He was a prolific writer. He did. Okay, so the first one that I have on my list that he wrote is Keep Yourself Alive. That is officially the first Queen song. It's the first song on their first album, and it's the first song they wrote as a group. They have another song on their album that came from their time as Smile before that, but Keep Yourself Alive was the first song they wrote together. A classic. Another one that he wrote that I really like and I've heard covered by uh, a lot of artists since then is Who Wants to Live Forever? Absolutely beautiful song and very, very sad when you think about what it really meant for them as a group. Yeah. And, you know, until you watch the documentaries about the end, you know, I guess at the stage of their um, life that mm -hmm. these hits were penned, sometimes we just listen to the songs. We know they're beautiful. We kind of hear a word here and there. We think we know, but we don't really know until... I feel that way about all songs I listen to. I don't understand any song I listen to the first time. <laughs> no, it usually takes several, several listens before it really embeds itself within you. Yeah, so I think it's worth talking about that the reason a lot of those sad songs exist later in the Queen discography is uh, Freddie Mercury is a very famous uh, bisexual man. Yes, yes. Most well known for dying of AIDS and that song was penned around that time when they found out that Freddie had AIDS and was there there was no cure he was going to die from it yeah but at the same time you know he has a line that has been repeated over and over where he mentioned that he didn't want to live to be 70 because he didn't think there would be any fun in that he goes I've lived a full life and if I'm dead tomorrow I don't give a damn I think he also said the line uh remix me re-release me but don't ever make me boring I think that seems like something he would say, yes. Probably the bane of his existence would be to be thought of as boring. The banane of banality. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, almost a sentence. Well, he certainly isn't boring, and he certainly has a great voice even to this day. I wonder how he would react, though, to seeing the, the things on the internet nowadays where it's like, Freddie Mer Mercury gets stuck in a slide and calls for his mommy. Okay, we're getting a little... Too weird and off topic, John. I'm not sure I want audio from that being in this podcast. So since you have the list of who wrote what songs, maybe I should list off a few and uh, see who wrote it and what we like about those songs. Okay. Somebody to Love. Freddie Mercury. Somebody, 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 anybody find me.
was, and that was from the album A Day at the Races, I believe, which had a number of other great hits on it, including Tie Your Mother Down. And you don't like that song as much, John, right? Not as much, mostly because, like, if there's anything regarding family, I don't like blatant disrespect for it, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. Also, like, it's it's a little violent for me, and violence and families are not exactly something I like together. Oh, yeah, okay, you got me there. I just like how it sounds. It's got some heavy guitars. I can recommend a lot of other Queen songs for you. Well, yeah, I got about 60 on my phone right now. <laughs> um... I can already tell you one because it's one of the most recognizable bass licks of all time. John Deacon wrote uh, Another One Bites the Dust. True. It's one of my least favorite songs that Queen performs, but yes, it's iconic. Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. And another one gone. And another one gone. Another one bites the dust. Why don't you like Another One Bites the Dust? Because it's just so different? It's very different. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't like that one. That's fair. Um, John, any songs you want to mention? I think my favorite Queen song, right now anyway, is uh, The Seven Seas of Rye from Queen 2. The one with lyrics. It should be mentioned that that song appeared on their first album as well at the end of the album with no lyrics. It was an, infi- an unfinished song. Excuse me. Let's see, what else can we talk about in Queen? We touched on how Brian May is an astrophysicist with his PhD, but we should also talk about how uh, John Deacon was a accomplished electrician and an electrical engineer, rather, I should say, who built a lot of the effects that they used uh, in the band, and in fact invented the amp, the Deaky amp, that Brian May used on nearly all of their albums the, uh, that got that iconic sound. The Deaky amp, huh? From from Mr. Deacon. I, I don't know if that's exactly how it's pronounced, but that's how it looks to me when it's written out. <laughs> all right. Um, D-E-A-C-Y, the Deaky amp. Probably, yeah. yeah who knows? Wow. And we've already alluded that Roger Taylor was starting out to be a dentist, but I don't know that he ever even ended up doing dental work. I don't think he did, or at least he's certainly not known for it. And Brian May has his own kind of... He he has his PhD, but he also built the guitar that he's used for, well, forever now, um, the Red Special, which a custom guitar that has really no perfect replicas. There have been some replicas made, but I don't think any have ever sounded quite like the original. Uh, One piece of trivia I found about Roger Taylor was that um, his active approach was not confined to music when media mogul Rupert Murdoch made attempts to buy Manchester United Football Club, which we Americans would call soccer. Taylor funded the club supporters in their attempts to block the sale and historically helped them to succeed. All right. So apparently Rupert Murdoch was not able to purchase Manchester United Football Club. And from that point on, he swore he would always hate Queen. Rupert Murdoch? I'm sure, yes. Well, he has Fox News, so who needs Queen? Let's see. Let's go over some other songs, if I may. 
Um, I think my favorite album that I, I don't think we've even touched on this album yet is their album Jazz, which has one of my personal favorites, Fat Bottom Girls, on it. Of course. Who wrote that? Well, I don't know, actually. Was that one Brian? You, I think that was a Freddie and Brian song. I have it on the Brian list. But I think they wrote it at the same time that they wrote another hit. They went to France one summer to, I don't know, go isolate themselves and get creative. And it just happened to be they rented a house where the Tour de France rode by. See, I've got to include bicycles somewhere. <laughs> of here. course. So the Tour de France just happened to ride past their summer rental. And that inspired the bicycle race song. I want to ride my bike. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride it where I like. You say black, I say white, you say bar, I say bite, you say shark, I say him and It's a little funny to me how they have two songs about bicycle races and they both featured fat bottom girls. It does seem odd because I don't think fat bottom girls ride bikes. Certainly not the Tour de France, not unless the there were just some people getting in the spirit. They That's were emotionally possible. inspired, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. Uh, but that album also gave us another hit song that I'm sure a lot of people have heard, even if they don't necessarily know it's a Queen song. Body language. No. Don't stop me now. <laughs> oh, great song. And I think that still goes down as one of my all-time uh, Queen favorites. Absolutely. Simply just because it's got a little bit of everything. It's got a soft, slow, but powerful intro. It's got some rock and roll. It's got an incredible solo. It is a beautiful song that gives you just about everything you need out of a Queen song. So since John mentioned body language, any trivia on that one? You know, I don't. I know it was a popular song. Um, what album was that from, though? I feel like I should know. Um, was that The Works? Well, I suppose you don't have what album it's listed from. I know that Freddie wrote it. He wrote it. It's a very strange song. It was in yeah. that period where they started to use synthesizers a lot more. And it's... Well, to me, it was never my favorite song for a long time because I should say I didn't appreciate it as much because it was, to me, always kind of lacking in lyrical content. It's a song that you're probably dancing or feeling rather than singing along to. Yes, Hot, I agree. Hot Space in 82. Hot Space, thank you. Um, which is, interestingly enough, the same album that uh, got us a David Bowie song as well, Under Pressure. Their third most popular song, I believe. Yes, their number three hit. Um, do you know anything about Under Pressure, Mom? Or any any of the story behind that one? I do not recall, no. I think it's a beautiful song that everyone should definitely listen to and appreciate. I, it is absolutely one of their best. I agree, and it's one of David's best as well. And it was recorded completely by accident. 
Yeah, and, um, and neither of them wants to take credit for it. I think they keep giving credit to the other per- people. Yeah, Queen was in the recording studio one day. David Bowie just happened to show up, and they're like, hey, we should record a song together. And like, okay, let's do it right now. And they did. And it's one of their best songs. And I think both groups, Queen and David Bowie, like John was saying, they could not have written it on their own. And so they attribute it more to the other person. That's really awesome. Um, Did you know that in 1969, at that time, David Bowie was an unknown singer, but he was playing a lunchtime gig at the canteen at Ealing Art School. And Freddie helped carry Bowie's amp and helped the makeshift or helped make a makeshift stage for him out of canteen tables. Oh, makeshift stage. Uh, canteen tables would be maybe like card tables for us. Probably. Milk cartons, who knows? <laughs> Anyways, Mercury never mentioned their first encounter when he worked with Bowie at a later date. Although I would bet that David Bowie would not have forgotten Freddie Mercury. He's a fairly distinctive face. I agree, but let, uh, a lot of Freddie's earlier looks are very different from his later looks. I'd be... I, had been hard-pressed for a while to recognize the two as the same person. It's the haircut. It's the haircut, and he had a very more um, flamboyant way of dressing early on, I should say. Yeah, but the facial structure he is quite unique, too, because he has the four extra teeth. Yeah, so if you've met him, it's probably a little easier to differentiate. Unless you just didn't look him in the face. But And who knows what David had going on that day. He was probably a little busy. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, apparently they didn't chat about it later on. Yeah, so. so. Mom, have we talked about your favorite Queen song yet? I'm having a difficult time coming up with my favorite song. There are several that I really like. Crazy Little Thing Called Love. Oh, that is a good a one. wonderful one. Good Old Fashioned Lover Boy. Love of my life. Love of my life. Broken my heart, and now you leave me. Love of my life can't. A lot of love songs here. Oh, that is a theme, huh? They had a lot of love songs. They did. I think it was important to them. Um. Okay. One of my favorites, but it's you know because I always love a good melancholy story, something that'll like bring tears to my eyes. I really love the song "The Show Must Go On." Absolutely. One of the last Queen songs ever recorded, maybe the last properly recorded. I absolutely love the story behind that because Freddie was dying of AIDS as we've gone over before, but they were unsure Freddie was fit to record for that one, I believe. Yeah, they brought him in the studio, but they weren't sure if he was going to be able to do it. Um, I think it goes on record that probably Brian asked, 
Freddie, are you okay for this day or should we put it off? And John, he, I believe he took a shot of vodka, did it in one take, and then completely owned it. I absolutely love this song. Recorded, the vocals all recorded in one take. And you wouldn't believe it listening to it because he has such a vocal range, even even that close to the end of his life. It is a powerful song and absolutely beautiful. You know, on my worst days, I, I like to listen to that song, usually on repeat. <laughs> it's uplifting. It's melancholy, as has been stated before. But how do you not feel... Like, how do you not feel motivated after listening to that? Well, that's true, because, you know, it's not all about you. The show must go on. Even if you're at the end of your rope, it's, yeah. come on, go out with style. Yeah, it, it does provide some good life energy. <laughs> okay, here's one we haven't really talked about. Oh? Not on the love theme. Radio Gaga. The song that inspired Miss Lady Gaga. Mrs. Ms. Yeah, it's a... Lady Gaga. I don't know if she's you know what, married or the not. The title, but... I suppose, is Lady, isn't it? Well, that's what I would go with. The Lady Gaga. Love the song so much that she made it her name. That was a Roger Taylor song, I believe. It was, yeah. And it is one that... You know, I, it was never my favorite, but it's a lot of people's favorite. And um, I think my favorite version of it is I, I'd like to talk about their performance at the Live Aid concert for a moment. Oh, yeah. one of the greatest concert performance by any band of all time. Yeah, they weren't just some jackasses who made money for profit. They also did some humanitarian work. Yeah, and there's a lot of stories we could tell there, but I think Live Aid is one of the most important ones. And... Uh, Radio Gaga was one of the songs they played there, and it is absolutely stunning. You can find their entire performance on YouTube, and if you haven't watched it, you should, because that is the song where you can see a sea of people singing along and clapping to this as they perform it. And it is mind-boggling, really. So Queen released their second-to-last album, Innuendo, in 1990, February of 1990, I think. And it was a beautiful album, and Freddie was on his deathbed for it. And he didn't live that much longer. I think he only made it to 1991, November 1991. November 24, 1991. But in that period between the release of Innuendo and his death, they were still in the recording studio any chance they could, recording vocals, recording songs, vocals, anything they could get. And after he died, they released a posthumous album in 1994, Made in Heaven, which is absolutely beautiful. And Brian May goes on record stating he thinks it's the best Queen album. Uh, so to wrap up this whole bit, uh, if you haven't listened to Queen, go do it right now. Yeah, and turns out they're still performing to this day. Concerts still going on. They're performing with Adam Lambert. Lambert? Yes. Lamberoni. Unless yeah. you're in yeah. France, then he's Lambert. Yeah. Still performing today with Adam Lambert. Lambert. Yeah, let me just pronounce it like wait, an American. Wait, was it? Adam a Lambert. Lambert with a B? Okay. I thought you were saying Lampert. And they're still performing to this day. Uh... <laughs> With a guy named Adam. Yeah, with Adam. <laughs> That's it. Actually, Adam's been performing with them for like over 10 years. I didn't realize it had, it had been that long. Yeah, yeah. It, they've been doing it. And like he's not, and they do make sure to clarify, he is not a part of Queen. They're not replacing Freddie necessarily. No, they call it Queen plus Adam. 
Yeah. How do you and think, how do you think Adam feels about that? I, think I mean, he's he fine. loves performing. Okay, because like I think I'd be like a little miffed. Like it's been a decade, guys. Like, well, but they kind of set him apart. It's Queen plus Adam Lambert. Like his name is in there, but that's only because everyone knows the other guys' names. I mean. People know Adam Lambert pretty well these days, I think. He is just as, uh, maybe not as well-known a musician, but like, he's got some hits too, and he's got a good voice. He's a good, he's performing with Queen. He can't be bad. Yeah. As I recall, he was introduced to them with an appearance on American Idol. He competed on American Idol. They were there to mentor. And boy, did they. Yeah. And, And then after it was all over, they got to talking and they thought, you know, hey, this could be something. So, and it is. Another thing I'd just like to mention is, you know, even though these guys are musical artists and professionally accomplished, they're also, as human beings, I think, really decent guys because not only are they well charitable, but they do have charities that are very close to them. I appreciate the fact that Brian May is a lifelong advocate for animal welfare because being a pet owner myself, <laughs> now the pets that he supports are more like wildlife. Um, I think it's, he is inspired in the fight against fox hunting and badger culling. And I'm not really sure what badger culling is, but it sounds bad. I know what culling is and I know what badgers are, so I can take a stab at it. Yeah. Yeah, Um, we did touch on it a little earlier, but they do a lot of humanitarian uh, aid. And they do. He's also a proud ambassador for the Mercury Phoenix Trust, which was set up in memory of Freddie Mercury to support AIDS projects. Hmm. So they have been supporters of uh, AIDS research and funding in all the years since Freddie has passed. And they're just good people overall. Every interview I've ever heard them give, they just sound like really kind people. You know, you can kind of tell in an interview sometimes what kind of person a guy is. When they're putting on airs or when they're, they really want to talk about this thing. But yeah, yeah. yeah. but they, they do just seem... Uh, Ryan and Roger, because John Deacon doesn't appear publicly anymore. No. But uh, those two, they do seem like really kind and generous people. They do. And it impresses me, too, that they don't tire of talking about Freddie Mercury, because anytime they're in an interview, the one thing every interviewer wants to ask them about is Freddie. Probably Um, because Freddie can't tell them right now. True. And he's such an iconic figure, uh, probably becomes more iconic the longer he's dead. But... um, they don't mind talking about him at all. They don't mind, uh, you know, it kind of overshadows the reason that they're probably, you know, they don't try to set themselves up. Um, they don't mind talking about Freddie. It's just, it's part of who they are and part of why they're out in the public eye still. So uh, I'm impressed that they don't mind talking about him when they would probably, most people like to talk about themselves and they end up usually talking about Freddie. To be fair, though, they probably have a few answers prepared, so... Like they, that's true. They, they might not have to waste too much energy coming up with such stuff. Yeah, they they do tell the same stories over and over, but <laughs> well, they they can't get any new ones anyway. Yeah. So thanks, John, for that bit of morbidness. Anyway, so listen to Queen. Listen to Queen. Rest in peace, Freddie. And thank you, Brian, Roger, and John. You guys will live for Ever. in our memories, certainly for the rest of our lives, as Absolutely. one of the best bands we know. I'm being a lot of jokey about Freddie's death, but he's actually been like a huge inspiration and role model for me for almost my entire life.
how about how about we wrap this up? I think we had a lot of fun talking about Queen, but uh, Mom, do you have a, a question we should give some advice on? I do. Okay. Michael, prepare yourself. My dad is dating my boss, and they want me to go to couples therapy with them. So right off the bat, that's not couples therapy. That's a triple therapy. That's three people. Right. Yeah, I don't think couples therapy needs to involve more than, you know, a couple. I could be wrong on that. Maybe. Um, It sounds like they want something a little more akin to marriage counseling, and there are a lot of power imbalances already involved. I mean, not... First of all, I I don't want to go to therapy with my dad as is. I think that's going to be a rough day for everyone involved. I also don't want to go to therapy with my boss. Yeah. And so having both of them in the room at the same time, I know I want as far away from that situation as possible. One, you should probably quit. Two, you should probably get a better dad. Three, get some ice cream. You sound like you deserve it. You're having a rough day. I don't know what I would do if my dad started dating my boss. Well, <laughs> considering I've, I've met our dad and I've met your boss, I think that there would be a, some very strange circumstances that would lead to that. Also, uh, both my father and my boss are men and heterosexual, so some stuff would need to we, happen. And one of them is married. Yeah, not the one you'd think, though. <laughs> now, nah, we've been doing this podcast a while. You can probably guess. <laughs> okay, so this is, we might have to wrap this up fast. Marzi is on the recording table. <laughs> <laughs> I love that cat. So, yeah, there really isn't any more advice we can give you other than... Uh, don't be involved in that because geez louise i got some advice listen to queen yeah you know what best advice we can give listen to queen this has been family ties positive vibes a podcast about the lives of a small family in southern california our theme song is funkarama by kevin macleod you can listen to more of his work at incomitech.filmmusic.io. Special thanks for this episode to Jim Davis for giving us the rights to Garfield. Thanks for listening. We'll be back whenever Michael stops singing show tunes on Broadway. 